Man, everybody's a volunteer around here. It's actually kind of impressive when you see how much work everybody does or how much work it takes to make a church work. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you all for uh, your time. It's, it's really a, a service to the Lord. You know, one of the mysteries to me uh, has been noticing people's faith that goes up and down, but particularly people that, you know, I would have considered to be really strong in the faith. Uh, and then you see their faith uh, either rapidly or over time just kind of like fall away. I mean, I don't know if you've known anybody like that, uh, where, you know, you would say, man, these were people that really loved the Lord and served the Lord and and then just something happened. I don't know if it was a several things that would happen or one big thing. I mean, I had a friend before we started this church that uh, we did prison ministry together. Uh, he was a life group leader. Uh, I, I very nearly emigrated to uh, New Zealand with him to go start church down there. And you know, once we started our church, I, he'd kind of just lost his faith. And I was like, how does that even happen? And, you know, here's somebody that was leading others to the Lord, and, and he was really effective. And I was like, what happened? And uh, you'll see that uh, maybe you know people like that. Uh, faith can be such a mysterious thing. Uh, and it's not necessarily because somebody didn't see a miracle, or somebody hasn't been in the presence of God doing powerful things. But on the other hand, the mysterious thing about faith can be those wonderful people that their faith just seems to be super steady. You know, you look back at like 20 years of walking in the Lord and, and uh, they've just been like consistently uh, folks that will just love the Lord, serve the Lord, and there's been seasons that have been great, and there have been seasons that have perhaps been dry, and there's been difficulties that have come their way, and they just keep serving the Lord. They're just stable. They're just steady. Maybe you know somebody like that. Uh, you know, faith is just, it's just a, it's an interesting thing. It's an interesting thing to why some people receive the Lord and fall in love with Jesus, and why others who can hear the exact same message and be present at the exact same time will just reject the Lord. Uh, I've heard, you know, over and over again, uh, people would say, oh, if so-and-so would come to faith, they would be such an incredible advocate for the Lord. And often the people that are the most incredible advocates for the Lord are not the people that are super powerful and mighty in other areas of life. God just will use all sorts of people. He'll use humble people. He'll use people that are, you know, lowly. He'll use people that are wealthy. He'll use, God can use anybody. But if we look at faith and like, why do people keep their faith? Or why do people lose their faith? It's just an, one of those weird mysteries. And today I want to uh, look at that. And I want to ask, you know, just, Ask yourself, like, where is your faith? Where is it today? Uh, would you say you're at a place where you just, yeah, you're not doing well? 
Or maybe you're at a place where it's like, man, I'm really doing awesome. And if you like all the volunteers and you're saying, yeah, I just love the Lord and I need some way to, you know, serve the Lord and I, and I want to volunteer, great, good for you. The other people will be serving the Lord and they'll say, you know, I just feel abused. I mean, like the church is just using me and like every time the door opens, they expect me to be there. And Whoa, take, take a pulse of where's your faith? How are you doing? And what are you going to do to improve your faith or restore your faith or to build your faith? And what is it that's sucking your faith dry or is making you like lose your faith or walk away from the Lord? Why, how about looking at that? Uh, the wonderful thing about the Bible, and when we look at the stories in the Bible, uh, we realize this and we see this face to face. It's not like God only gives us Bible stories where they're all just onward and upward. Uh, you know, most of the Bible stories are like upward and then backwards and then forwards. And, you know, God just uses regular, everyday people. And so we in the book of Exodus, and if you would like to open your Bible or open your app to Exodus chapter 14, I'm going to be looking at primarily Exodus chapter 14, starting at, uh, at the beginning. But uh, what I want to look at, if we look at the, the story so far that we've been preaching on in, in Exodus, is God has been doing incredible, mighty, I mean like ridiculously powerful things with the Jewish people. And uh, the story of the, the Jews in Egypt, they've become slaves they ended up in Egypt because, you know, there was food and there was a famine in Israel and they moved down there and they were, uh, they were taken care of. Uh, and now time has gone on and uh, things have gone badly. They've been trapped there 70 years, they're in slavery. And God says, okay, I am going to restore my people. I'm going to make good on my promises, which was to bless uh, the generation coming out of uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Joseph. And so we got God moving in a powerful way. And the people are totally helpless, have no money, and yet God is saying, I'm going to do it. And he does. And he starts off with the ten plagues and uh, just does these incredibly powerful things. And God is demonstrating not only is that he's large, and in charge, but he's personal. Like individuals can get to know God and experience God's power and might. And after the people, the, the Jewish people, have seen God do all these incredible things, uh, culminating with Passover, where their kids have been spared because they put blood on their doorposts, and God said, I'm going to send an angel of death over the land. If you don't have blood on the doorposts, you're going to lose your firstborn. And they saw that and they witnessed that and they saw the power of God and God's judgment coming and God's anger because of injustice. And okay, so we pick up the story. And now, finally, Pharaoh has is, agreed to release the people and relinquish his power and they are moving out. And as they move out, uh, God says, okay, I'm going to do one more uh, really unbelievable, mighty act uh, because 
somehow other God wants to establish this for all time. And here we are talking about it, you know, 4,000 years later, and it was for all time because this was just such an incredibly huge act, uh, a demonstration of God's power, God's involvement, God's faithfulness, and uh, the personalness of God. And so this is the God getting them through the Red Sea and allowing the Israelites to travel through on dry ground while the water's all piled up. And then as the Israelites are getting through, uh, the seas close on the armies of Pharaoh and all his whole defense force essentially is just uh, drowned and uh, done away with. Uh, so... We want to just look, at, I want to look at that story this morning, but before I do, let me pray. Jesus, we all desire to experience your love and your power personally. Lord, we ask that uh, you would be involved in our lives. And Lord, I just pray that as I preach today, you would build up our faith. Lord, that we would be empowered by you. We would experience your love and that you are involved in our lives. And so, Lord, I just pray that uh, you would put power on my preaching, that you would help us to overcome what we're facing today and this week. And, Lord, uh, give us your hope and your love and your power. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Uh, Let me read Exodus uh, chapter 14, verse 2. As we uh, jump right in here, well, I saw verse 1. Then Lord gave these instructions to Moses. Order the Israelites to turn back and camp by Pi-Harithoth, I don't know exactly how to pronounce that, between Migdol and the sea. Camp there along the shore, across from baal Zephron, where Pharaoh will think, The Israelites are confused. They are trapped in the wilderness. And once again, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will chase after you. Now, here's the kicker. I have planned this in order to display my glory. You've got to get that part. Then Pharaoh and his whole army, uh, through Pharaoh and his whole army, after this, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. Like, okay, didn't they get it the first time or the second time or after the tenth plague? Uh, there is something in us where uh, when it comes to supernatural things or it comes to believing in God, uh, it's like never enough. We always want more or another uh, encounter with God or another miracle. And uh, God is saying, look, even the Egyptians need one more power display for two reasons. A, that the Egyptians will know that I am all-powerful and that they will realize that I have the ability to be personal. I am a God and I am in charge and I do have control over the natural order, the spiritual order, the total order, the whole universe. And God has designed it that uh, He is going to do this incredible uh, act of like you know, over nature and rescue the the Egyptians. Now, it's kind of interesting that they're on their way out 
and uh, it looks like they get, they're going to get trapped. God even calls the Israelites, okay, backtrack. Can't imagine what the Israelites thought about Mo- Moses' leadership and where God was in this story when you're like, okay, let's get out of here. And you're just getting out of here. And now you're like in the wilderness and you're getting lost and you were already there and you're going back there. And, you know, this sense of like, can't we just go straight? One of the things you'll realize quickly when you're walking in faith, it's never like straight. It's always like weird detours and like never seems to make sense. But just hang in there. Just know that God is in control. He will get you there. If you put your faith in Him, if you let God guide you, it may seem mysterious, but often in God's plan, in God's uh, scheme of things, uh, He'll get you there just on time, the way He intends it to be. But God wants the Egyptians uh, to experience His power, but He wants the Israelites, and often you and I, to be tested. He wants to test our faith because when we get tested, that's when we have a chance to uh, increase our faith, to develop our faith, to be, uh, to have it, whatever. I mean, it's like you go to the, if you go to the gym, you push weights. What does that do? Is resistance. It's like because you're going through some, you know, resistance or difficulty, it allows you to get stronger. It tests your faith. And so God has given Moses sort of advanced warning. He said, okay, here's the plan. This is what I'm going to do. And uh, I just going to give you an opportunity to have your faith tested. Uh, I want you to understand what it means to trust in me, even though you've seen all these major plagues and seen me at work. Again, I want you to figure this out. Now, The point that I want you to get is it's not like this is the first time people have experienced God or experienced the opportunity to trust in God or to have faith in God. What I want you to realize is that them like us, our faith goes up, our faith goes down, and it needs to be built back up again. Uh, It's part of the way we wire it. But I've titled this message, and it's a negative title, What is the best way to see your faith dry up? Or have you seen your faith dry up? Or is your faith drying up? And uh, if you've got your bulletin insert, uh, let me just point out five ways. Well, at least five ways. I'm not saying these are the only five ways. But one of the five ways that you can see your faith dry up is you get in a panic. Something's happened and you panic. And it's like, you know, instead of depending on God, you just, I'm in a crisis, I'm panicked, where is God? Uh, Which normally follows the very next way to see your faith dry up is you ask the why question. I mean, why God? Why this? Why now? Why this way? And you kind of never get a good answer. I mean, it's like, have you ever been around a three-year-old and the, and the kid says, uh, why? And you say, well, we need to go home. Why? Well, because it's nearly lunchtime. Why? Well, at lunchtime, we normally get hungry and eat. And if we're here in the park, we, why? And eventually it's like, wait, whatever I say, the kid's just going to say, why? He's not listening. I mean, sometimes I think that's what we do with God. We're just like, Why? Why? And God's like, really? 
Which leads to the very next thing, is that we complain. This is one of our biggest weaknesses in faith, is our ability to find incredible ways and opportunities to complain. It's like we can find the most small thing, and we'll focus on that, and we'll complain about that. Or one person will irritate you, and you'll just like focus on that person, and you know, I mean, we as people are experts at complaining. In fact, we had a whole great sermon on that just like last week. I mean, just focusing on complaining. I mean, if you want to see your faith dry up, focus on complaining. Or should I just say this? Just notice your complaining because you don't actually have to focus on it. It kind of happens kind of easily, kind of naturally. We just complain. So if you want to see your faith dry up, just complain. And then another good one is you just blame the leader. I mean, if you can't figure it out, it's always your small group leader, you know, or the pastor, or the coffee, or the parking, or the children's ministry, or blah, 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 or blah, blah. You know, I mean, it's like there's always something uh, to blame somebody else for. Uh, and that's not good. Or maybe this is how you have your faith dry up. Uh, you'd like to do something for the Lord. Uh, I mean, you feel like God is calling you to do something or to serve or to go somewhere. And uh, instead of like getting excited about it and thinking about how you can possibly make this be, or maybe it's kind of overwhelming, uh, but instead of thinking about how it could be, you paint the worst case scenario. Any of you like that? It's like you've got the smallest challenge ahead of you, and instead of like getting excited, it's like, okay, what's the worst thing that can happen? The next minute, the worst thing is like a pretty big thing. I mean, and then it's like, oh man, if it's going to be that bad, uh, yeah, I, I, I can't even step forward. Exodus Chapter 14, verse 10 and 12. Let's just read it here. As Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked. Okay, so they trapped. They're at the Red Sea on the one hand. They got the desert on the other hand. Uh, Pharaoh's heart has been hardened. He's marshaled all his chariots, the, like every single person in his military. Uh, he said, okay, let's go out there and let's attack and decimate the Israelites. And, uh, you know, here the Israelites are, they just boogied out of there quick with their walking stick and their sandals and a quick Passover meal and leavened bread. And uh, I mean, they're not like well equipped. And here comes the army with the fancy chariots and, and yeah. But remember, God had said to them, it said to Moses, I'm going to rescue you. So as Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and they panicked. It didn't matter what God had said or what God had done in the past or what Moses had promised them. They panicked. When they saw the Egyptians overtaking them, they cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses, Why? Okay, now you can fill in a hundred whys, but why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves in Egypt? 
Okay, now it's not any why, now it's complaining. Weren't there enough graves in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why? Why did you make us leave Egypt? I mean, it was so awesome being whipped and being slaved. And, uh, no, it, why? Why did you make us? Moses, you the leader. Like, you made us leave slavery. Terrible Moses. Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. Oh, that's such a wonderful lifestyle, just being a slave with no hope and no future. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. The worst case scenario, right? Can you paint it any worse than that? Uh, but the problem is, this is us. I mean, we are like this. We have this ability to like allow our faith to just be sucked dry. Uh, we have the ability to complain and to paint the worst case scenario and pass the buck and to panic and we do it. You know, you would think if we look at the flip side, the more exciting side, like how do we build our faith? You would think there'd be like one person in that group one person with like the spirit of like David, they could look out at that army and say, wait, God has done like 10 plagues and he's done incredible, powerful things and uh, he's rescued us and uh, he's promised us he's going to get us out of this and he said he was going to harden Pharaoh's heart again. I mean, you'd think there'd be one guy that would say to the Egyptian soldiers of the charioteer, like, show me your muscles. Is that all you got? Is that how fast your chariot can go? Is that only how fast you can go? I mean, you'd think it'd be somebody that'd be like, just like stirring it up a bit, you know, having some sort of faith. Like, is that all you got? We got God. God's been on our side all along. Are you going to come? Nope. Okay. So how do you build up your faith? Well, don't be afraid. Part of it is, You've got to look back and see what God has done. But here's another thing. This is so counterintuitive. It's be still. Okay, there's a crisis going on. There's chariots around. They're coming to kill us. Be still. Be still. And with being still is watch. Watch and see what the Lord is going to do. You're in a tight spot. Build up your faith. Say, God, it's up to you. I'm going to be still. I'm going to let go. I'm going to let you, God, do what only you, God, can do. And let the Lord fight for you. Stay calm. Let's read Exodus 14, verse 13 and 14. But Moses told the people, Don't be afraid, just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. I mean, it's just a wonderful, wonderful visual exercise for all of us. I mean, their backs are against the desert and against the sea. The enemy is pressing in. And Moses is saying, B 
be calm. Just relax. Let God do what only God can do. Friends, I'm speaking to somebody today that's in a crisis. And it's bigger than you. But God is bigger than your crisis. You know, our ability to build our faith and to trust God in good times and in bad times, when things are going well and when things aren't going well, is what faith is all about. And God will prove himself to be faithful in all circumstances. But we have to have a long-term view. We've got to look back at what God has done in the past and build our faith up from that. We've got to have an expectation of where God is taking us, uh, that we do have eternity on the line. And really, no matter how good or bad things go in this life, we have an eternal future to look forward to. And in this life, Jesus is promising that we would have a great life if we will trust in Him. So, we need to pause with our issues and our problems and you know if we look at this pattern it kind of sadly repeats itself after they get through the Red Sea uh, they get to the other side and then okay if we're not dealing with a security issue with the Egyptians trying to annihilate them the very next thing we're dealing with is basic food and water problems and the Egyptians are not in the picture, but the Israelites start complaining, and they're asking Moses, like, where's the food? And God provides supernaturally, you know, food, quail, and manna, and then it's water. And you would think the pattern would be a little different. You'd think people would say, God, we are really, really thirsty. Uh, we desperately need somebody to drink. You've been so incredibly faithful. Lord, I... I know I'm feeling discomfort, but God, you are a mighty God and you're a faithful God and I believe, God, that you are going to come through with the water. I mean, you'd think that's the way they would respond and God would be super pleased with that attitude and would be, like, willing to provide. But no, they moan and they complain and they take it out on Moses and it's the same old cycle. People panic and they ask all the why questions and they you know, blame Moses and why would you bring us out of here and they paint the worst case scenario, we, we're going to die here in the wilderness. It's like, hello people, God has done incredibly mighty things for you. You know, one person said it this way, it took one night to get the Israelites out of Egypt and it took 40 years to get Egypt out of the Israelites. In you and I, in our lives, sometimes it can take one night for us to get saved by Jesus. And it can take the rest of our lives to build our faith and have trust in the Lord. And to become really people that are holy. Here's a final, the last way I'd like us to look at how we can build our faith. And this is just one of those incredible faith building exercises that we have an opportunity to do on a regular basis. And that is to put our thoughts into song, into worship. If we look at the next chapter, chapter 15 of Exodus, what's happening here is they 
been rescued out of the Red uh, through you know the attack by the Egyptians, got through the the sea, and they form a song and they put it into words. Why? Because when we worship the Lord, we focus on Him and not on our problems. But not only are we focusing on the Lord, we're remembering the things that God has done for us. Now we're starting to build our faith. And because songs are catchy and they're memorable, we can get the phrase and it sticks in our brain and we can sing it over and over and over and it builds our faith. But it's actually amazing, powerful, needed spiritual exercise, which is part of God's plan. We do church weekly because weekly we need to build our faith. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We need to have the Holy Spirit empower us, fill us. And we do that through praising and worshiping the Lord. Because when we worship the Lord, we're not looking at ourselves. We're not looking at our problems. We're looking at the Lord and saying, God, you help us. You solve our problems. We come to you. We believe that you will solve our problems. We believe that you'll empower us to solve our problems. Lord, you'll put ideas in our minds that we won't even think about. But you will put them there. So, one of the worship team come on up. And uh, let me just say this. One of the ways that we fight our battles is by allowing the Lord to do it. We fight our battles by not being afraid, by not panicking, by standing still, or even better, uh, to be proactive in worshiping the Lord. So why don't you stand, uh, let us ask the Lord... Lord, we just ask that uh, you'll fight our battles. Lord, we just ask that you'd give us insight today. Lord, we just ask that you'd go before us. Lord, we just ask that we won't put anything else before you. So Lord, we just ask you, to be with us. And Lord, the one thing we can do is give you thanks to worship you. So we do it right now, right here. Thank you, Jesus.